Hello, my name is Rivi Frankel. Welcome to Torati Mecha Nachyomi with the OU Women's Initiative. Today we will be studying Sefer Zechariah, Perak Hey. Yesterday in Perak Dalid, we discussed the roles of the king and the Kohen Gadol, the high priest, and how ultimately their goal was to work together to bring the light of Hashem to the rest of the world. Today in Perak Hey, we will see two new visions from Zechariah. So I look up and get again, and I see that there is a flying scroll. And the angel says to me, what do you see? And so I tell him that I see a flying scroll whose dimensions are 20 amot by 10 amot, which is somewhere around uh, 15 to 20 feet by 30 to 40 feet. The Malach continues in verse 3 and 4 to say that this scroll is the curse that goes out over the entire land because there are thieves who have stolen, as is forbidden, which have not been punished, and there are people that swear falsely in the name of God who have not been punished. And so this curse is going to go into the house of the thief and into the house of he who swears falsely. And it's going to sleep inside the house, completely destroying it from its beams made of wood all the way down to its stone foundation. And that's the end of the vision. The Midrash in Vayikra Rabbah asks, what is the significance of this scroll? The fact that we're given its dimensions, which are so big that an animal on earth could not have produced anything that could have been turned into this single scroll, tells us that there's something else going on here. And so the Midrash's suggestion is that actually this is the same dimensions of the ulam, of the space outside of the Kodesh, that section of the Beit HaMikdash, of the temple. And people would come to this ulam, to this space, and they would come there in order to be judged, whether there was some sort of discrepancy in business or whether there was a disagreement between neighbors. People would come here for judgment. And so the Malbim suggests that by telling us that the scroll was the size of the ulam, that it is giving us the symbol that justice is now going to be carried out, that deen, that that same judgment that would happen in the ulam of the Beit HaMikdash is now about to be carried out even when there hadn't been a Beit HaMikdash, even when there hadn't been a temple. So for 70 years, there had been nowhere for this judgment, for this justice to take place. And now God is once again bringing back that justice. Interestingly, we see that the thief and the person who swears falsely represent two different kinds of iniquities that need to be solved. One is ben adam lechavero, between man and another man. So a thief who steals, when somebody steals, they're hurting another person. Somebody who uses God's name in vain is potentially also harming another person, but is also harming their relationship with God. And so we see the duality of these two different kinds of sins that are being called to justice. There's another space in the Beit HaMikdash, in the temple, that is also 20 by 10 amot, 
While we're not given specific measurements in the pshat of Shmot, in chapter 26, Rashi does a lot of math for us and actually shows us that the Kodesh itself, not just the Ulam, but the section where the menorah, the Shulchan, the Mizbeach, the day-to-day service happened, was also 20 by 10 amot. What's interesting about the Kodesh is that the vessels that are used, and we discussed this when we talked about the menorah yesterday, are covered in gold. They're precious metals. Everything is beautiful. There's a very materialistic and physical description in this chapter 26 of Shemot about what happens inside the Kodesh. The Kodesh, the Beit HaMikdash as a whole, the temple in its, in its entirety, is about blending material and spiritual. It's about elevating that which may be empty, except for the fact that we bring meaning and spirituality to it. Rav Hurst suggests the fact that the scroll is empty because there's no real meaning in the actions of the people. These are people who steal and use God's name in vain. And they come to the Beit HaMikdash, they come to the temple to bring a sacrifice and then say, okay, I'm good now. The message is, is that if your inside doesn't match your outside, if the Kodesh is just a place where there is precious metals and it's not something that is elevated to the level of serving God, then it's empty. It's for naught. This isn't a message just for the people of the generation of the temple. It's something that we can relate to, too. Our religion is not just a religion of lip service where we confess and then we're considered clean. Real tshuva, real repentance requires inner work. It requires change. The empty scroll, while a sign of the fact that there is emptiness in the world, is also an opportunity for us to have a new beginning. In the same way that we saw that Yehoshua, the high priest, changed his clothing in chapter 3, we have an opportunity with an empty scroll to rewrite the way that we use the world, to rewrite the way that we see ourselves and we see the temple, not just as a place to come and pay lip service, but as a place to reflect the real blend and the real balance of our service of God in this world. Pasuke verse 5 starts the next vision. So the angel who is speaking to me says to me, lift up your eyes and see what is coming towards us. What is this thing that is coming out towards us? Pasuk Vav, verse 6. And I asked, what is this? And the Malach says to me, this is the Eifa that is coming towards. And he says, this is in the eye of all the land. So what is an ifa? There are two different options of how we could translate this. An ifa is an actual measurement. We don't know exactly what measurement it is, but this is a measurement of volume as opposed to a measurement of mass. So for example, I can have an ifa of feathers and an ifa of bricks, and they're going to weigh two totally different amounts, but they're going to fit into the same space. The other option is that this is actually a tub, some sort of bucket. Um, and the reason why the bucket would have been called an ifa is because like we have today standard sizes of bathtubs or of sinks or of showers. So 
the standard size of this tub that we've actually found archaeological evidence of was an efa, and so it became called an efa tub, or just this efa for short. And while it's definitely easier for us to visualize a tub flying through the air, as opposed to saying that there's a measurement flying through the air, Rav Hirsch says that it's actually translated as this measurement of a fa, and that this again signalizes materialism. It doesn't matter what's inside the efa. It doesn't matter the substance of the efa. It's just trying to fill it, right? It doesn't matter if it's feathers or bricks. It's just about pulling things together and what you see. The vision continues in verse 7 and 8, Pasuk Zion and Chet. And behold, there was a piece of lead that was on top of the efa, and it's lifted. And inside this efa, there is a woman sitting. This is the only time in Tanakh that we have this conjugation of evil, the wickedness. So this, this woman in this efa is wickedness and he pushes her down and sticks the lead into her mouth. The vision ends with the last three sukim, the last three verses of this chapter, 9, 10, and 11. Zechariah again lifts his eyes, and what does he see? Two women are coming, being carried by the wind with wings on their back. And these wings look like the wings of a chasidah, like the wings of a stork. And they come and they carry off this efa between ha'aretz u'bein ha'shamayim, between the heavens and between the earth. Pasuk yud v'omar el ha'malach ha'doverbi, anahima molichot et ha'efa. And I say to the angel who's speaking to me, where are they taking this Eifa? Pasukit Aleph, verse 11, Vayomar Eli, leave not la bayit b'aretz shinar. Where is shinar? Shinar is in Babel. Shinar is in Babylon, where there are still Jews that are sitting, waiting to come back to the land of Israel. We also know that Shinar is one of the places that Nimrod controlled. Nimrod, the leader of Migdal Bavel, of the Tower of Babel, the place where people came together to fight against God. The Midrash tells us that Shinar is also home to Orkasdim, the place where Avraham was thrown into the fiery furnace and emerges completely whole because of his belief in God. Shinar is a land of duality. Shinar is where Bavel is, is where Migdal Bavel is where this place of fighting against God is, but it is also the place of the recognition of God. Is the Ifa being sent to where our enemy is to punish them, like Rashi suggests? Or is it a sign, like the Ibn Ezra says, to the Jews of Bavel that they will be punished if they don't go home? The Jews have two choices. Will they stay in Bavel, the place where people fight against God? Or will they have their own Avraham Lech Lecha moment of coming back to the land of Israel? The Gemara says that the evil, that this vision represents, is evil itself from within the people. That God is saying, I am removing evil from you. There's this another suggestion that it's actually the Yetzir Hara, the evil inclination for Avodah to serve idols. And so that is being sent out of the land of Israel so that we no longer have that desire and that run and that push to serve idols. 
But at the same time, in order to balance the world, it means we're also going to lose nevuah. We're also going to lose prophecy because we can't lose the desire to serve idols and also not lose something on the good side to keep the earth, to keep the world in balance. And so these messages, these images, whether it's removing the evil and Hashem is giving us a gift, whether it is a message to our enemies that evil and punishment are being sent to them, or whether it's a message to the people in Zechariah's time, as well as the people in our own time, we have two choices. Do we have the choice of staying in a place of being in a space, whether that's a physical space or a headspace, of occupying where people fight God? Or are we going to follow Avraham and say, Lech Lecha, follow, go to the place that I will show you to have a relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. This vision is also the only time where we see explicitly female angels. Sometimes we have male angels, Isha Elohim. Sometimes we have gender neutral angels, but this is the only time that we see female angels. And that also has to do with the balance in the world. If we're looking to return the Shekhinah, God's feminine energy and revelation to the world, so then removing the evil is also going to be done through female imagery. May we merit as women who come together learning Torah and trying to mine it for lessons and inspiration to be part not just of the removal of the bad amongst our people, but also part of the building and the joy and the growth that comes with the times of Geulah. Thank you for studying together. Le'iloi Nishmat, Riva Schwab, Rivka, but Alexander Sender.